This morning, I woke up, and this is just confession time. I woke up, my kids were still in bed, and one of the, the most favorite meals uh, within our family is breakfast. Every Saturday, we make pancakes, not from a box, but homemade pancakes. So I pull myself out of my bed, and I walk down our hallway, and I say to the kids, Hey, kids, do you want pancakes for breakfast? Yeah! Do you want to go to the pancake house? And they're like, yeah! And I said, April Fool's, eat cereal. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's amazing being a dad. I had so much fun. I walked back in the uh, the bedroom. My wife looked at me. She goes, you are evil. Really? (laughs) Really evil. And I said, yes. I also texted my wife this morning as I was making my way here. I wasn't driving because that's illegal, but I was in Starbucks. And I said, by the way, honey, know that anything that potentially uh, can go wrong or be bad today, I'm not going to believe you, so don't try. And she said, I know. So I think I'm safe, I hope. We're in this series uh, called Missing the Point. And uh, there's these three very specific moments located in Luke chapter 2. Three moments that almost borderline on the absurd. Like, you read them, you experience them, you think about them, you're like, did this really, really happen? I mean, what were they thinking type of moments? And last week, Rich kind of kicked off the series, and he talked about this moment where, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, to his closest friends, he was saying, by the way, I'm going to die. Not in days, not in weeks, but within hours, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, this debate breaks out to who is going to sit on the right-hand side? Who is going to sit in the seat of prominence and power and position? Who was more important in the circle? And can you imagine I mean, Jesus sitting there going, I just said I'm going to die. What, what are you guys thinking? But haven't we all had those moments? Where we pause and we realize, you know, God's like, God's saying, what are you thinking? Well, Friday, at Good Friday services, we're going to talk about the third moment. Uh, this moment in the garden when Jesus asked this group of his closest friends to do one thing and they couldn't even follow simple, simple instructions. But today, we're going to look at probably one of my most favorite people in the Bible because I relate so much with him. Not so much from the great things he accomplished, but these you know, absurd moments that he found himself in. But before we jump into this story, uh, I want a little group participation because I'm already on my second Venti coffee, so I'm really amped right now. And uh, so I just want to make sure you're, you're with me, and uh, some of you literally woke up maybe 10 minutes ago, and, uh, or you're still asleep. And so there's these phrases, these statements that uh, we have grown up with. I mean, from the time we're kids, and they've just kind of seeped into culture, seeped into our vocabulary, and there's probably many, many times over the past years that you have literally said these statements, these phrases, you've used them, even though they might be a little bit absurd. So I'm going to start the phrase, and I just want you to complete it if you know it, and I'm pretty sure you'll know them. Here's the first one. Think back to elementary school. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... 
Is that true, though? Fourth grade, there was this girl named Tina, and Tina got caught picking her nose. Oh, I mean, all fourth graders, right? I mean, everyone picks their nose. It's just one of those rules. But she got a name attached to her, Tina the Booger Eater. Oh, it gets worse. That name followed her through elementary school, junior high school, into high, into high school. And you know what? At our senior graduation dinner, they were handing out awards. And guess what she got? You think she was there? Nope. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, names will never hurt me. How about this one? If you first don't succeed... Try, try again. I found this, this image that just continues to make me laugh. It's this image of this guy uh, uh, skydiving. It says, if you first don't succeed, uh, skydiving's not for you. <laughs> I'm like, that's so true. That's so true. How about this one? Winners never quit and quitters never win. I can hear my coach scream that across the soccer field. Last night, I don't know if you caught um, the final four, and was interesting, I was watching the games with a friend of mine, and at the very end of both games, the, the both ended just kind of weird, especially the Ohio State game. I mean, they only lost by two points. And there was a bad call, or what they thought was a bad call, or it d- doesn't matter, but literally the whole Ohio State team's facing the referee while... while um, who do they play? A Kansas. Sorry, I'm like, the Kansas player dribbles out the time behind him. It was absurd. I'm thinking to myself, Thad Mata, the head coach for Ohio State, had to walk into that locker room after that game and said, what are you thinking? Seconds were still left. It was only two points. Why did you quit? Winners never quit and quitters never win. And here's the last one. Actions speak louder than words. Now, that one's true. doesn't matter how many times you say to someone, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if your actions never follow those words, what are those words worth? doesn't matter how many times you say to someone, you're my best friend, you're my best friend, you're my best friend, but if you don't return phone calls, Don't return a text message. Don't show up for a a lunch date appointment. You're not there in their time of need, does it? Just because you say you're best friends and your actions don't, does that? If you say, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm never going to do this again. And the next day or the next hour, Someone finds you doing. Have you ever had such an intense desire to do something and you find yourself not doing that? Have you ever committed to finish something and not finished? Have you ever told someone that you were going to follow through and fell short? You see, there's this other kind of phrase, statement, 
that has kind of seeped into culture. And, and maybe you've heard of this one before and maybe never realized that this one comes straight from the Bible. See if you can fill in uh, the ending part of this phrase. The mind is willing, but, but the flesh is weak or the body is weak. You see, that statement was from Jesus' mouth. Actually, right in this next kind of absurd moment we're going to look at Good Friday. In the middle of the garden, when Jesus asked his closest friends to do one thing, and they couldn't follow through, and they couldn't do what he asked them to do, and he came out and said, really? And he makes this statement. The mind is willing, but the flesh, the body, is weak. And we're going to see that moment today that borders on the line of absurd. But what I know is all of us have been in a moment just like this before. And again, the setting, which is important, the setting is is this group of disciples sitting in this house. They've just eaten supper. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, I'm going to die. It's not days away. It's hours away. And the past three years have been great. We have so many great memories. We're the closest of friends. But I just want you to know, it's all coming to a close. It's all coming to an end. And we encounter this second absurd moment. Starting in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. It starts off by by Jesus saying these three words. Simon, Simon, Satan. If someone walked up to you and said your name twice, followed with the word Satan, you know it can't be good, right? (laughs) Right there, the conversation has started off bad. And all week, I don't know if you're a Saturday Night uh, Live uh, uh, enthusiast, but all week, as I've read through and read through and read through this passage, all I can think of is that classic 19, I think, 80s Dana Carvey sketch, the church chat with a church lady, when he goes, could it be Satan? And that's all I can think of. You know, Jesus going, Simon, could it be Satan? I just had to share that with you. That's all that's worth. Satan. Now, I, I never want to give Satan more credit than he deserves. Right? Let, let's focus a whole lot of our time, our energy, our effort, uh, our emotions on God. That's, that's critical. But sometimes what I think happens is we just ignore that Satan's at work, that we ignore that he's alive, that we ignore that he's scheming, that we ignore that he is trying to mess up our lives. And you look through the entire Bible, going back to Genesis, who was in the garden? Who was whispering in Eve's ear? Who was whispering in Adam's ear? Who was trying to twist and manipulate? Who was saying, hey, no, really, God is just trying to keep you down. God is just trying to keep you in this little box. And I want you to be all that you were created to be. And they listen to Satan. We move our way through and we come to this moment in Job. And Satan is literally bored. He's like, ah, what am I going to do today? Let me mess up someone's life. So he goes to God. And you know what he says to God? Hey, God, I'm bored. That's my translation. (laughs) I want to do something. 
Give me that one person. Give me that overachiever. Give me the best of the best. Give me that one person you don't think will ever curse you, will ever turn your back on you, will never walk away from you. I want that person. Let me see what I can do with them. And God said, okay, but here's some ground rules. You've got to follow those. But Job. And we move into the New Testament. And it's right before Jesus is going into his public ministry. Right before he's launching out. Right before he's in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights. He's fasting physically. He's at his weakest moment. And guess who shows up? Satan. And not once, not twice, but three times. He tempts Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, you have to realize he is scheming in your life. And he has been perfecting his craft from the very beginning. He has mastered his craft. He's that good. How does he do that? He whispers in your ear. Ah, you're not that successful. Look at him. Look at her. She's really good. You'll never be that person. No one respects you. Look around you. You have no friends. No one likes you for who you are. Because if they found out who you really are, they wouldn't like you. You'll never amount to anything. Think about those thoughts that run through your mind, that run through your spirit. I mean, you could sit down and objectively start writing out all the things you've done extremely well in life, all the places where you've succeeded, all the things where you could say, man, I I really accomplished some great things. You could write down and objectively write down the people that really do care for you, that really love you for who you are. I mean, you could do that on a piece of paper and get done and go, wow, that's amazing. But guess what? How many times do we fall back to the whispering to the schemes. And quickly we withdraw. You think about those things in your life that continually trip you up. The Bible calls it sin. The things that tear you apart from relationship with God. And so many times we focus on the big, big, big sins, like the capital S sins, and those are important to look at. But what about those other ones? The proverb says that pride comes before the fall. How much pride are you dealing with? Right? There's this fine line between confidence and ego and pride. Right? There's this fine line. How about gossip? The stories you tell that aren't yours to tell. 
He's a master at his schemes. Goes on in verse 12 in the Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual battle being waged on you. Whether you want to think about it, whether or not you want to believe it, whether or not you want to face it, guess what? Satan is scheming after you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to pull you out of a relationship with God. He wants to grind you down to nothing. And never think for once that he's not a master at it. And I find it fitting that Jesus starts this moment by looking at Simon, saying, Simon, Simon, Satan. Even though the rest of those guys were sitting around that table. And Jesus wants to make sure everyone knows in his final hours that Satan is going to be out on the prowl. And listen to what he says. Simon has asked. Now that's important. I'm sorry, Satan has asked. I think I said Simon. That Satan has asked. Satan has no authority over God. He is subservient to him. He can't do without asking God. And you might be wondering, well, okay, Chris, well, so why does God allow Satan to do what he does? Now, it's a complicated conversation, and I'm going to try to sum it up in about 10 seconds. Ultimate love, unconditional love, the love that God has for you, for me, demands, requires a choice. And God said, hey, I could make you love me. God can make you love him, but is that love? So he allows Satan to do his schemes and gives us a choice. Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. And what does that mean? Jesus is literally saying, warning, 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 Satan's around and he's good and he's coming after you and he's going to try to separate you from me and he's going to try to trip you up and he's going to try to crush you down and he's going to come after you and he's good. Be ready. Be ready. And notice he said, all of you, even though he's talking to Simon, he says, Satan's coming after all of you. He's going to try to separate all of you like wheat. And I'm just giving you the warning. And it's the same warning he wants to give to you. Don't for once think that Satan is not scheming after your life. And don't for once think that you're better than him. Because he's crafty. 
Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's these moments in the Bible where I've read many, many times. I'm not sure for you, like these are moments where you're like, oh, I've heard this story before, I've read this story before. Yeah, okay, great. And then all of a sudden, like light bulbs go on where you're like, oh, I just discovered something. This is one of these moments for me where I just discovered something. And it's so easy to, to just fly through and read quickly through and not really catch what Jesus is saying. And I'm not sure for you if you caught it. It's when he says, and when you have turned. Jesus is saying, yep, Simon, you're going to fail me. It's going to happen. The odds, 100%. You are going to fail. And you could hear that and go, man, that's, that's, a, that's a horrid thought. Yeah, same thing Jesus is saying to you and to me. Yep, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. And it's going to be some small ones, and there's some, whoa, big ones. Yep, well, well, welcome to. Welcome to life. You see, in this moment, Several, several things are happening. First of all is this. He's looking at Simon. And he literally calls him Simon. That was his old name. Jesus had changed his name to Peter. When, when Simon came to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, when he gave his entire life to Jesus, when he surrendered all of himself to Jesus, Jesus looked at Simon and said, your name now is Peter, Cephas, Rock. And upon this church, I'm gonna build my kingdom. He had this not only radical life change, Jesus changed his name. But in that moment, Jesus reverted back and called him by his old name. Don't you think everyone around that table, including Simon, understood what Jesus was doing? Jesus was saying, hey, Peter, you're going to revert to your old ways, your old self. You're going to revert to who you used to be, not who you want to be. Hey, Peter, remember what your life was like when your name was Simon? Hey, Peter, I know that your mind is willing, but your flesh is weak, and you're going to revert back to who you used to be. What do you think was going on within Peter at that moment? Let me tell you what's going on. Listen to his response. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Wow, what commitment. Like, I think he bowed up a little bit. He's like, not me. These other guys are weak. Not me. Come on, Jesus, let's go. I got my sword. Actually, just hours later, it was Peter taking out his sword and cutting off a soldier's ear. That's a cool moment in the Bible. I mean, not for the soldier, of course, but 
I mean, I think Peter was right there. He's like, come on, kind of UFC style. Let's go. I'm with you. We, you and I, linked arms together. We'll go against all of Rome. I will go to death with you. I think Jesus is sitting there going, yeah, your mind is willing, but your flesh is weak. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Three times. Not once, like it could be an oops. Like Peter couldn't say, oh, wait, I didn't quite hear, uh, hear what, you, what you said. I, I didn't hear that person correctly. It wasn't twice, like it was like once I, I didn't hear them correctly. And the second time, oh, I didn't realize they were talking about Jesus. Jesus was saying, no, 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 three times. Emphatically, you will deny me. If you know how the story goes, hours later they go through the garden and Jesus prays and there's another absurd moment. Soldiers come, they arrest Jesus. Satan starts doing his scheming. And we find Peter at a campfire. And in Luke 22, it says that there was a servant girl that looked at him and said, you're one of them. And Peter quickly says, oh, whoa, not me. But the first person was a servant girl. Now, in that culture, women were treated like slaves. Some 2,000 years ago. And so we not only see a girl, a woman, treated like a slave, but she was a servant girl. That's like a notch below. And her age was probably some, like a teenager, like a junior high girl. You would expect, Peter, if that first person happened to be a six foot five Roman soldier with biceps the size of my head, and a sword to say, oh, no, not me. But an 80-pound junior high girl? What, what position of authority did she have over Peter? What position of, of power did she have? Like, was Peter fearful for, for his life because of her? And he quickly says, no, 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 not me. Second time. Someone goes, hey. You're one of, and Peter said, no, not, not me. Third time, someone said, hey, you're a Galilean, meaning I've heard you talk. I hear your accent. I know you're from Galilee, and you must be one of them. And here's one of these moments. It's just a profound moment in the Bible. Just imagine what's taking place here, okay? Jesus is arrested. I mean, the crowds, the frenzy, the chaos, the emotional energy, all of that in this town. And Peter finds himself in this moment. And this person points him out. And this is how Peter responds. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And get this, 
the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, just imagine that moment. Imagine if you're Peter, and all of a sudden you come out emphatically, I don't know him, rooster crows, and Jesus looks at you in the eyes. Oh. But we've all done it, haven't we? We've all walked out of a Sunday morning going, I'm never going to do that again. You walk down the stairs and get in your car and someone cuts you off in the parking lot. Oh, I messed up again. The mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I go back to this moment where Jesus says the Satan's going to sift all of you like wheat. And what we know is all the disciples, all the Christians, they scattered. They were afraid. And Peter gets all this recognition for denying Jesus three times, but there's someone else, isn't there? Judas. Oh. I mean, just that name, right? Judas. Does this send like shivers up your back just thinking about Judas? I would hate to think if anyone ever named their kid Judas. And if your name is Judas, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just that name alone. And what I find is interesting is Judas gets all of that, like, emotional rage how could judas do that how could judas sell jesus out how could judas how could judas how could judas and i'm like is there any difference between both of those denials peter three times refused that he even knew jesus Not once, three times. So why does Judas get all that kind of emotional baggage and hatred? And Peter were like, what a man of God. Woohoo! Verse 62. And he, Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. What did Judas do? He hung himself. Were they both remorseful? Oh, absolutely. What did Judas do? He ran back. He tossed that money in and said, I don't want any part of this money. He was remorseful. In that moment, when Peter looked in Jesus' eyes, remorseful. He remembered what Jesus had said just hours before, not days, not weeks, not years before, hours before. Oh, you said this was going to happen. And I said, not me, Jesus. I will go to death with you. And hours later, 
Peter went out and wept bitterly. This grown man, this rough, gruff fisherman, wept bitterly in absolute repentance. Judas ran. And instead of looking Jesus in the eyes, instead of saying, I messed up, he ran. And he hung himself. See, all of us have failed and will fail. The question is, who are you going to face when you fail? Are you going to look Jesus in the eyes? Are you going to run from it? Because when you run from your sin, when you run from your failure, when you run, it only leads to one path. And what I find amazing is that in this moment, as he's being dragged away, Jesus pauses and looks at Peter. And if his eyes could speak, Jesus, Jesus would have been saying, hey, Peter, I, I knew this was going to happen. And I love you. Peter, you're going to fail me again, and I'm still going to love you. And Peter, there's nothing you can say and nothing that you can do to ever, to ever get me not to love you. And I hope all of you understand that today. That there is nothing you can do for God not to love you as much as he loves you right now. No amount of failure, no amount of sin, no amount of mistakes, Because Jesus has never failed you. And he will never fail you. And that's why he went to the cross. For his sacrifice. For his blood. So that we may have eternal life. For his grace to cover us. And he loves you that much. And he's looking you in the eyes. The question is. Are you looking at him in the eyes? I absolutely love this season. Several weeks ago, I shared with all of you that uh, there's something about Easter and Christmas where people, people are the most open, that people are the most receptive, that people are the most willing to at least have a spiritual conversation And I tell you, this Easter Sunday, a week from today, it's going to be a celebration. Uh, The music's going to be amazing. Uh, I'm I'm preaching a really, really short time, so you can tell all your friends that. No, really, this will be the shortest message of the year. But here's what we know. A Gallup poll, so this isn't even one of those churchy Christian polls. Gallup did this poll. That nine out of ten people, if asked, would go to church. Think about that. I mean, those are great Vegas odds right there. Nine out of ten. But this is what just made my heart sad. Only 2% of all people will ask someone to go to church with them. 
two. I got back um, this week, and uh, I was gone for a week, and uh, I was talking with Charlie. I go, how did last weekend go? He's like, it was awesome. And uh, he goes, guess what? I go, what? He goes, we have already handed out 1,100 invites. Oh, that's incredible. 1,100 of these cards have the potential, have the chance to end up on someone's desk, end up in someone's hand with a personal invite. A 90% return? Oh, I got this email this week. Chris, I have to tell you that, that the people I've given an invite to have been very appreciative to have someone they know care enough to invite them to worship when the world is falling apart is a gift. I'm glad we are helping spread the light. It's a gift. And so I just want to challenge you this week. You have a gift in your hands. You have a gift in your heart. You have a gift in your mouth. And I get that all of you are at a different place spiritually. And you might be going, Chris, I still don't know about Jesus. But there's something here that's drawing you in here. There's something here that you're connecting with. There's something here. And you're on this amazing journey. And I would say to you, there's other people you know that you need to invite to be a part of this journey that you're on. And you have a gift. And this is what I know. Right now, most of you, if not all, are feeling this excitement like, yeah, I'm going to. And then you're going to get up and you're going to walk out the doors and down the stairs and get in your car and guess what's going to happen? Oh, the tricky one, Satan. Could it be? And he's going to start scheming. And he's going to start filling your heart and your spirit going, oh, what if they say no? And what if I get labeled? And what if people look at me differently? And what if, and what if, and what if? And I would say to you, but what if they say yes? And what if, because of your hands and your feet, God uses you to give them the greatest gift ever? A chance to get to know him in a real and awesome and life-changing way. So our encouragement for you this week, give a gift that could change a life.